And a warm welcome to Wednesday's Richie Allen Radio Show from a 20 degree, it's 20 degrees outside, Salford, that is the Costa del Salford. Hope all's well in your world, thank you for finding me again. I am looking forward to this programme, I really am, let's do it then. Uncensored, unfiltered, you're listening to Richie Allen on the world's most popular independent news radio show. Yeah, had about 19 faders open there at the same time and be jeepers. <laughs> That's not the way to go. Welcome to the show. It's the Richie Allen Show. Broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Yeah, it is funny as a radio presenter when you are hearing things in your cans and you're like, where's that sound coming from now? Close your faders, Baldy. Now, I'll be joined a little bit later on this hour by a really interesting gentleman, Jerry O'Neill. Jerry is behind The West's Awake. It's a blog on Substack, westawake.substack.com. He's a journalist or a citizen journalist, and he's got thousands of subscribers on there. Uh, Fair play to him. And he is the man behind a festival which is taking place in Fermoy in Cork this coming weekend. It's called the Tuha de Danon Festival, and it's packed full of really interesting people, speakers, comedians, performers, artists, you name it. So we'll talk to Jerry about that. We'll have a good old chinwag with him. And if there is time, there will be time later on, I will take one or two of your telephone calls. How about that? I'll take some calls. Keep that at the back of your mind. I'll need some help from you a little bit later on. Yeah, so Jerry O'Neill then will join the programme this hour. That's nice. It's nice to talk to people from the homeland, so it is. Now, this afternoon, dear listener, I was preparing, as I do, to present this programme, and I received an email from Manchester United. I know what you're thinking, because I'm a messer. You think it's a joke. No, it isn't. No, no, no. This is a genuine email. I have forwarded this email to some of my friends in academia and some of my guests who I thought might find this very interesting. Listen to the email. Supporter ID. I better not give you my supporter ID number. Dear Richard. Bastards. I've told them not to misgender me. Not to misname me. My name is Richie. Anyway, this is genuine. Let me read it, right? Word for word. Dear Richard. Ahead of our Premier League fixture against Chelsea FC, we want to write to you about the historic incidences of homophobic abuse aimed at Chelsea FC players and supporters. Homophobia, like all forms of discrimination, has no place in football. The club is extremely proud of our diverse fan base and the work we have done to reduce incidences of homophobic abuse and chanting. But now we must go further and eradicate it altogether. As a club, we will continue to lead the way for inclusivity and the tackling of discriminatory abuse, whether inside stadiums or online, through our All Red, All Equal initiatives. This includes working with our fan groups to educate supporters on the impact and offence caused by discriminatory language. Supporters are reminded that the Crown Prosecution Service has now classed the, quote, rent boy, end quote, chant as a hate crime and anyone found to be using it is liable to be prosecuted. The club will also take all necessary action against individuals as outlined in our sanction policy. We recognise that only a very small number of our fans use this term. 
rent by. But it is important that everybody in the Manchester United family plays their part in promoting inclusivity and driving discrimination out of our game. Football is for everyone. Thank you for your support. Yeah, I've just received an email from the football club I support reminding me of my responsibility not to sing Chelsea Rent Boys at the game tomorrow night because the Crown Prosecution Service has classed the Rent Boy chant as a hate crime and we need to do all we can to um, promote inclusivity. Um, yeah. Here are some Everton fans singing the offending chant. <laughs> Chelsea Rent Boys. Now I won't be singing. I, t- t- it's a terrible thing. So I was I was planning on spending most of the game tomorrow night singing Chelsea Rent Boys. But now that I've, I've had the email from the club reminding me of my responsibilities to be inclusive, I better not, lest I get booted out of the game. What sort of a lunatic asylum, dear listener, are we currently navigating? That is beyond insane, isn't it? Supporters are reminded that the Crown Prosecution Service has classed the rent by chant as a hate crime. Let me just say this, just in case you're new to the programme. I would never use that term. I would never call anyone a rent boy or sing rent boy. I don't sing at football matches to protect my voice. But isn't that a bit mad? It's a bit mad. Six minutes past the hour. Let's just leave that there. That's an email I received from Manchester United today. By the way, if you'd like to get involved today, you can message me via richieallen.co.uk or you can message me via the relatively new app for the programme. The Richie Allen Show has its own app. How about them apples? Okay. Um, couple of quick items of news. We'll do this very quickly and then we'll move on to more serious news matters. Uh, the official COVID inquiry has threatened the government with legal action if it doesn't release former PM Boris Johnson's unredacted WhatsApp messages and diary entries. But the Cabinet Office has argued that some of the material is unambiguously irrelevant to the inquiry. Downing Street insisted the government was supplying all relevant material. Meanwhile, Johnson will no longer work with government-appointed lawyers for the inquiry. Allies of the former Prime Minister said he had lost confidence in the Cabinet Office after officials referred him to the police over further potential rule breaches during the pandemic. So there are fresh allegations that Boris Johnson, the former Prime Minister, was partying down during lockdown. The Times was first to report this, saying Johnson has been referred to Thames Valley Police because his ministerial diary revealed visits by family and friends to Chequers. Chequers is the Prime Minister's country house in Buckinghamshire. Right? So during the pandemic, during lockdown... At Checkers, family and friends popped around for a few beers and a game of charades, apparently. Johnson and his allies are saying this is a politically motivated stitch-up. The COVID-19 bereaved Families for Justice campaign group, Jesus, um, say, quote, it's outrageous that the Cabinet Office thinks it can dictate to the inquiry which of Boris Johnson's WhatsApp messages they can see. This is about the most ridiculous story I've, I've heard in a long time. You will be aware that 
A 95-year-old woman was tasered at a nursing home last Wednesday at 4 o'clock in the morning. You know this, don't you? A 95-year-old woman who needs a Zimmer frame to get about, allegedly had a bread knife in her hand, was tased by an idiotic officer, sadly, because of injuries sustained in that incident. The lady has passed away, surrounded by family and friends and loved ones. The officer who did it remains suspended from duty with full pay while the investigation continues. That's laughable. As a trade unionist, I'm all for due process. I'm all for not sacking people if you can help it. What future should a guy have in the police service or the police force if he cannot subdue a 95-year-old old dear using a walking frame to get around holding a bread knife or a butter knife? What's the, what's the, what, what's the pending the inquiry all about? Just um, fire the fucker uh, as quick as you possibly can. Um, I was going to do food prices. I won't do food prices. Let's leave food prices alone. Now listen to me. I heard an interesting uh, bit of news talk radio in Ireland this morning. The breakfast program uh, for news talk in Ireland. Would you like to hear a little bit of it? Would you like me to share a bit of it with you? Okay, I will. Uh, Kira Kelly and Shane Coleman present for News Talk Breakfast. Uh, they were discussing anti-immigration protests. Listen to Shane Coleman, one of the presenters, give his own personal take on protesting against immigration. Listen very carefully to this. All right, we'll try that again. Some start, Baldy, I know, I know. Here's Shane Coleman from News Talk giving a personal take on immigration protests. I'm kind of a little bit worried where this is going. I think the last couple of weeks have shown us uh, that rightly or wrongly the nation's hospitality is finite. It's starting to wear thin. I think a perception is taking hold that Irish people are losing out. I'm hearing from TDs that they're hearing on the ground, you know, the line, we can't even house our own. And there's also that that kind of ugly message coming through on social media that I think is starting to come into the, the general conversation as well, that, you know, there's a danger to women here from immigrants and stuff. Now, there's absolutely no basis for that at all. But those kind of fears are, are being stoked. Those kind of fears are being stoked. There's no basis at all for any fears around young African or Eastern European men suddenly turning up in your village. No fears, no basis, says Shane Coleman. The question begs, of course, to be asked, how would he know whether the fears are justified or not? He goes on and it gets even more interesting. I think we've managed up to now to keep migration out of politics, but I think that is under strain. And when I hear mainstream and even centre-left politicians you know, backing protesters against asylum seekers being um, housed in their area. That makes me worried. And I think politicians need to be really, really careful because, you know, it's fine to attack the government and criticise the government about how they're handling this, but there's a real danger of ratcheting up attentions. And I fear immigration is going to become the number one issue in politics alongside housing. And I fear it's going to get ugly. He fears it's going to get ugly. I have no idea who that dickhead is because I don't live in Ireland. I don't know anything about the presenters who currently infest Ireland's broadcast media. Infest is a good word. It's probably a bit harsh. I know nothing about him. Did you catch that bit? And when I hear mainstream and even centre-left politicians 
you know, backing protesters against asylum seekers being um, housed in their area. That makes me worried. Yeah. When politicians back protesters or their constituents, Irishmen and Irish women, over asylum seekers, he's worried. Another way to put that is, he's worried, the presenter, he feels worried when Irish politicians prioritise the rights of Irish citizens over migrants, whether they are economic or refugees, or otherwise. I'm worried when I see politicians listening to their constituents who are expressing their concerns about open-door immigration. This is the gaslighting that goes on, not just in the Irish media, of course, but in the media around the world. Hmm. This is interesting. Let me read from the Telegraph today about Baroness Faulkner. When Baroness Faulkner wrote in the Telegraph earlier this year that the transgender debate was toxic, little did she know it would land directly on her doorstep and threaten to tear her watchdog apart. The 68-year-old has made it her mission to attempt to find consensus in the vicious clash between women, same-sex attracted people and the transgender community since she began chairing the Equality and Human Rights Commission in 2020. But she has quickly been forced to fight fires internally instead. That's important, right? She made it her mission in 2020 when appointed as chair to the Equality and Human Rights Commission that she would find consensus between all the communities. But now she's fighting fires internally. What's going on? Now, senior leaders at the Equality and Human Rights Commission, which is taxpayer-funded, they say they were left blindsided when a dossier titled Governance Concerns from an unknown number of complainants began circulating in February of this year. It contained dozens of generic allegations of bullying, harassment and discrimination and claimed that unacceptable behaviour from the chairwoman is becoming normalised. However, it didn't provide any examples whatsoever. But the woman herself, right, Baroness Faulkner, um, was not informed of the allegations until three months later in May this month, right? So the result has split Britain's equality regulator into two factions. The 12 external members of the decision-making board, many of them senior lawyers, they've rallied behind Baroness Faulkner, but a vocal number of the executives and officials in the EHRC's staff branch are said to be resolute in their attempt to oust her, to get rid of her. Why? Well, it comes down to defining biological sex. Politics Live is a BBC lunchtime programme presented by Joe Coburn. Let's hear from Freddie Sayers first. Uh, Freddie Sayers represents Unheard. It's a news website. Joe Coburn, as I've already said, asking the question. Freddie, you've been writing about this, maybe not you personally, but certainly unheard. Baroness Faulkner is right to stand up to gender ideology. The peer has endured abuse for saying that sex is biological. So her, her original crime was to want to add the word biological before the word sex, which to most people wouldn't even need doing. It's common sense. This is not about persecuting trans people or anything like that. What most people in this country believe, and the polling is very clear on this, is that trans people should be respected, they should live with dignity, and they should not be persecuted in any way. 
But the rights of women need to be held in the balance, which includes all women's spaces, it includes women in sport, and that is a sensitive balance which I believe Baroness Faulkner was trying to strike. And what's happened here is very much the, the playbook that we see, which is that junior members of an organisation who disagree with the politics of the senior people put about these claims of harassment or bullying or, or feeling violated in some way, and that's how they go after them. And it's, it's, it's the same idea. Why don't we go after people on the principle instead of these so-called behavioural issues? Angela? Angela Eagle. We'll hear from her in a moment. The gay MP, the lesbian MP, who once ran for the Labour leadership. So Freddie Sayers is saying Faulkner is under fire, the chair of the Equalities and Human Rights Commission, because junior members of it, maybe woke junior members, maybe not, don't like the fact that she's making a distinction between biological women and trans women and that biological sex matters and they're trying to undermine her. Quite a few of them have resigned. So um, Angela Eagle is next up then, Joe Coburn again. Is that what's happening? Is she well, being hounded? I have no idea exactly what's happening um, in there because there's, we know that there's a we know, we know there's an internal mm. investigation and we know um, that it's about allegations of harassment and bullying. We know for a fact that 25% of the staff have left that organisation in the last year and that 40% of the LGBT plus staff have left that organisation. So just from those facts alone, there's clearly something very troubling going on. I then look at the Daily Mail and its headline is that uh, it describes Baroness Falconer, who I don't know and have never met, as the woman breaking woke. That is what they said about her. If she's been put into that job to break woke, then she's not in the right job. The EHRC is there to defend the rights of all people who have special um, protected characteristics under including equality women law, including, including women. Oh, by people. the way, I'm a woman. A, I'm a, a woman. Person. I'm a woman, and I'm a gay person. So don't start no, lecturing I'm, me so about so, that. No, but okay. so, can I just, so, Angela, can so I just well, hang on? She's a testy little bollocks, isn't she, Angela Eagle? Sayers was making the point that um, yes, it's supposed to protect the characteristics of women too and gay women, and she lost it a bit there. Let me just read you the from this. I don't know what's going no, but on let me in tell the HRC. You. No, but let me tell you what has <laughs> happened But we will so find far. out in due well, course, the, the, sure. the Minister for Women and Equalities, Kemi Badenot, wrote to the EHRC asking for advice about amending the Equality Act's definition of sex. Baroness Faulkner responded and said redefining sex as biological sex uh, merited further consideration in an area that she described as polarised and contentious. Um, any change could make it easier to exclude transgender people from single-sex yes, spaces. Is that a problem? But the Equality Act allows each, uh, as it's currently written, allows each circumstance, be it in sport, be it in single-sex spaces, to be dealt with on its merits. It's a perfectly good piece of legislation that doesn't need that kind of changing. It's well, it obviously isn't a perfectly good piece of legislation because we see trans women, men, competing in sports with biological women. So it's not working. So there needs to be enshrined in law protection for biological sex, for women, for real women. There's only one type of woman. It's ovaries, it's a vagina, it's breasts, you know. It's uh, common sense and uh, better driving, I would say. You virtue signalling, baldy bollocks. Yes, I know I am. Um, we'll leave her there, but we'll stay with the trans thing just for a moment. Do you remember... Listening to the Liberal Democrat leader, Ed Davey, yesterday he gave us all a giggle, Ed Davey. So a woman can have a penis? Well, quite clearly. 
Yeah. So a woman can have a penis. Well, quite clearly. Lovely. Now, the Labour chairwoman, Annalise Dodds, was on Times Radio today and she was asked about women and penises. Look, I'm a woman. I do not have a penis. That You know, my biology means that. <laughs> I mean, you, you, you would never have believed it. If somebody came to you and said, Richie, back in 19... Let's say back in 2005. Richie, allow me to present you a transcript from a radio programme on the 24th of May, 2023. Um, this is real, Richie. I wouldn't have believed it. Look, I'm a woman. I do not have a penis. That- fantastic, isn't it? I could listen to it all day long. It's so vaudevillian. Look, I'm a woman. I do not have a penis. That you know, My biology <laughs> means that I do not have one. Um, I think it's really important that we do understand that for the you know for the vast majority of women it's sex that's important biological sex. Um, there are trans women they've made a change in their gender, mm. but gender is not the same as sex. And I think it is important that we're clear that they're not the same thing. So Ed Davy is wrong when he says a woman can quite clearly have a penis. Well, I think what's important, as I said, is that we're clear <laughs> that sex isn't the same as gender. Now, actually, Labour made that clear when we created the Equality Act, and it protects women on the basis of their sex. It also has protections for people who are undergoing gender reassignment. Mm. But as I said, they're two different things. Sex is not the same as gender, and I think it is important, you know, when we're looking at policy, that we're really clear about that. Do you know there's been um, calls, this is genuine, by the way, to have the life of Brian edited to have the scene where Stanley tells the people's front of Judea that he wants to be referred to as, I can't remember the name of the, what, who, what, what was the name he chose? But Stanley says he wants to be a woman. Remember that? And um, the, the people's front of Judea, except for John Cleese's character, who's bemused. But Eric Idle and others say, yeah, we will fight for your right to be a woman and we'll fight for your right to have babies. And John Cleese is like, well, this is ridiculous. He can't have babies. So why would we fight for his right to have babies if he can't have babies? There have been calls, I kid you not, to have that scene removed, lest it offend trans people today. Fuck off. No, no, seriously. Absolutely. Fuck off. No, no, no. They want to stop the life of Brian, yeah. Not stop it. They want to edit the life of Brian, yeah. Brilliant, isn't it? Absolutely brilliant. Okay, the time is 22 minutes past the air. Was there something else? Was there anything else, Richie? Uh, There might be something else. Something to do with education and students. And I've been a student. So third level students have my sympathy when it comes to what they've had to put up with over the last few years, particularly 2020 and 2021. Now, 5,000 students, dear listener, have taken University College London to court for breach of contract, claiming they have not received in-person tuition and poor quality remote teaching during the pandemic. 5,000 are taking University College London to court. Um, let's hear from Sean Griffiths. She is the education editor for the Sunday Times and she here she is appearing on Good Morning Britain today. I think in many cases they were getting a really miserable education. So they signed up, as you say, you know, 9,000... £250. We've got some of the most expensive degrees in the world. Mm. And they expected to get the full package. They didn't know we were going to have a pandemic. And what they got, instead of face-to-face tutorials with their professors and the whole, you know, fresh as fair kind of thing, they got, very often they were sent home, they had online teaching from the loneliness of their bedrooms, even when they were on campus. 
Many of them were locked down for up to 10 days at a time in their halls of residence, and they were threatened with disciplinary sanctions if they broke the rules, and the rules were very strict because everyone was worried that this mass movement of students across the country was mm. going to spread but none COVID. Of, none of that, you could say that none of that was the university's fault. They had to follow the rules, just like everybody else, and they were doing the best they could under those conditions. Yes, and I think the universities have argued that, and some universities have given very small refunds in recognition of the right. fact that students didn't have the experience they wanted. But on top of that, you have had students have, have experienced on and off strikes for three or four years now by their university lecturers. And again, the whole face-to-face -face experience, they've had cancelled lectures, they've had online lectures because of the strikes. Mm. So students who've gone to university, I would say, in the last four years, have not had the student experience, most of them, that they would expect and with I, their money. I feel sorry for them because it's a great experience, really. I've been there. It's very enjoyable and they've been robbed of that experience because of the nonsense of lockdowns. Three lockdowns, was it, in the end? Um, hi to IT Bird, who says, Richie, historically it tends not to be that the good guys talk of eradication. Muppets, says IT Bird. Thank you for that. Hi to Rebecca. R Richie, loved the show, but, but, like this, loved the show, but I wanted to know why you didn't discuss the story about two dogs being shot dead in broad daylight by the Metropolitan Police a few weeks ago. It was a very disturbing incident, and as a fellow dog lover, I would have liked to know your take on it. But Rebecca, you don't have to imagine what my take would be on two dogs being destroyed by the Metropolitan Police. It's dreadful. I didn't watch the video because I can't. I can't watch something like that. I physically can't do it. My stomach would turn. I would get sick. I don't know anything about the story. I read various accounts that the dogs were not out of control and it was wrong to shoot them. And then I read accounts that they were out of control and that they had bitten somebody previously. Who knows what to believe? I can't cover a story like that. I, I, I don't have reporters. I don't have journalists working for me. So um, disgusting um, that the video went out there. Horrible for the man and everybody involved. But I don't know. And that's why I didn't mention it, to be honest, you know. Mark asks, what are the Chelsea rent boy rates per hour? Good question, Mark. Steve says, they used to sing regarding he's French, he's gay and he's shagging David May, he's Cantona at Manchester United away games. They certainly did. Um, he goes on to say, while attending Cardiff City matches, we used to bet on how long before the supporters would chant rent boy at the opposing goalkeeper. It was usually within the first 10 seconds and nearly every goalkeeper would laugh back at the chanters. And Jay has helpfully reminded me that it was Loretta. Thank you, Jay. Stan wanted to become Loretta and he wanted the People's Front of Judea to fight for his rights to be a woman. There have been, look it up if you don't believe me, there have been calls to remove that scene from the film, lest young trans people be, 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 be triggered. Be triggered. Lots of you coming out with Loretta, thank you. Appreciate that. Life of Brian. Hi to Paul. Paulie Woolnatch, thanks Paulie. It's a long, long message, mate. I can't say, um, I can't say, I can't read it all out. I've not got time. 27 minutes past the hour. The Richie Allen Show broadcasting live, of course. It's always live from BBG Towers here in Salford. We are the 24th of May already. It's a glorious one. And as I said yesterday, and as I said Monday, the weather is expected to continue uh, warm, sunny, and very pleasant for the next few days into the bank holiday weekend. And that's a good thing. I'm a big fan of this band who um, have had huge success with their debut album, It Is Wet Leg. 
and it is too late now so it is i like a bit of this too late now in a moment in a moment i'm looking forward to you meeting my my first guest we're going to talk about the tuha de Danon festival in cork this weekend too late now from wet leg on the richie allen show it's exactly 5 30. thank you for your messages lots of them coming in i appreciate them uh, send them via the recently acquired app for the programme or richieallen.co.uk. Dean asks me, did I see the BBC Mariana Spring interview? No, I didn't. No, not for me. Not interested, thanks. Uh, Gillian, thanks for the comment uh, about the dogs. I don't know. I know so little about the story. I do not know. John is in London and he asks, will Peter Ebden be coming back on? He will. In fact, he'll be on very soon with uh, Joe, uh, his, uh, his, his uh, friend. They will be on, I reckon, in a week or two for an extended conversation. I'm looking forward to that. A lot of you commenting on the Rent Boy story. Maybe I shouldn't read out some of those. <laughs> Who knows? You know? um, Todd is in New York. Hi, Todd. He said, a friend of mine's child, top of his class, Eagle Scout, model citizen, was nearly expelled during COVID lockdown, missed a year of architecture college, all because he was seeing some friends underground when he was supposed to be locked down. Thank you for that, um, Todd. I really appreciate it. Do you know my next guest has got a hugely popular blog? I mean, it's really popular. 6,000. This is Substack now. 6,000 subscribers. That's bloody impressive. It's called The West's Awake. And it's West Awake, westawake.substack.com. It is a counter-narrative look at the world we live in, observational with regular flickers of humour. And, and he's the man behind a festival which will take place in Fermoy in Cork this weekend, Saturday the 27th and Sunday the 28th of May. Uh, the festival is called Tuha Day Danon. It'll be a relaxing summer fela gathering to celebrate and regenerate Irish culture, spirit, community, music and arts. It sounds brilliant. Let's welcome to the programme Jerry O'Neill. How are you doing, Jerry? Hey, Richie. Thanks a million for having me on. Give over. I'm delighted to have you on. Thanks. You're very welcome. Lovely to be talking to somebody from the old country. Come here and I tell you, <laughs> 6,000 on Substack. That's bloody impressive, man. Well done. Oh, yeah, I didn't. That's news to me there now, Richie, so thanks. <laughs> it's great, though, isn't it? I mean, you know. you're a good writer. Yeah, so... no, it's, look. Go ahead. Go well, ahead. we've, um, we, yeah, thanks. Uh, there's, um, I suppose I started on Substack maybe two years ago, and, you know, the counter-narrative stuff is just pushing back on the various narratives that are affecting Ireland, but affecting, you know, probably the UK and everywhere else, too. And I suppose slowly but surely started developing a following through, um, I suppose, the way I was writing about it, but also the way um, I was looking at things. Uh, it seemed to strike a chord with a lot of people in Ireland. And you also do a, you've got a YouTube channel and you do pieces to camera on these issues. And that's a programme, remind me what it's called? The Scholar Gypsies, yeah. So that's, uh, I suppose that was just, um, you know, I... I like to do kind of long form conversations with people where they get an opportunity to, you know, really flesh out what they think. You know, John Waters would be a good example. You know, I, you, you've had him on the show a number of times. Yeah. And, you know, people, you know, people like that, um, you know, that are important in Ireland, you know, especially, um, and I can talk about them, the, some of the people doing good things in Ireland at the moment in terms of writing and pushing back on, you know, the various problems we face here um but i, I like that long long form where you know john can 
you know, he can, he's almost like a jazz music, musician. He kind of riffs and you, you kind of just like to watch where he goes, where his mind goes on things and as he explores thoughts and stuff like that. And, you know, I'm coming at this, all of this stuff from the attacks on personal freedoms, freedoms of expression, freedom of, you know, freedom of choices to what goes into your body, these kind of things. And every, all of the global narratives from my writing perspective seem to have one thing, these global narratives have one thing in common, and that is their attacks on personal freedoms. So whether you talk about climate, whether you talk about, you know, that we all know the COVID stuff, or you talk about the war, or you talk about, um, you know, the transgender issue is a huge one um, in Ireland at the moment. Um, but again, these global narratives are starting to filter into the towns and villages now. They're not just some, you know, not some talking point on CNN or NBC in the States. They're like, they're coming into our towns and villages here. and you know, people don't know what to do. So, you know, that's, I suppose, the focus of my writing then is on that, on, on those four in particular. And I kind of try to personalize, you know, I bring my own yeah. kind of personality into it because I'm not a traditional journalist. So it's a kind of method of letting people know who I am too, because I don't have answers. I have more questions than answers, really. Yeah, that's that's no um, black mark against you not being a traditional journalist. That doesn't mean anything anymore, of course. So it's interesting yeah. to me that these things, these conversations are now happening in long form in the independent media, where people are chatting about them lucidly and intelligently and ironically, whereas we used to have these conversations on national television 25, 30 years ago, we don't. So they're not being discussed on national TV or radio. Or if they are, they are being couched in very black and white terms. And um, protesters are far right. Um, the government and its plans for migration are good. Anything else is unstable and shouldn't be heard. So that's how it is in the media. But there is a uh, a kind of um, a, a very organic independent media developing even new even now because mm. the independent media has been around for a while but even now newer and newer because people are as you said in the communities and the towns understanding something is going on and they want to talk about it and they want to learn more about it hence you know incredibly large numbers of followers for your Substack and your interviews with John Waters so I'm fascinated um, by this we're going to talk obviously about the festival and we'll do that shortly mm. but let's talk about some of these issues right um, earlier in the programme I played some of the national radio news talk um, programme breakfast programme where an astonishing thing not astonishing to me but it should be astonishing to I suppose to people who don't know the things we know uh, a presenter saying mm -hmm. very clearly a radio presenter called Shane Coleman saying that he's mm -hmm. concerned that politicians, centre-left and centre-politicians, are basically prioritising the concerns of their constituents over um, immigrants. Black and white, I, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm not uh, paraphrasing that. Um, well, well, there's, there's no attempt to hide any of that, is there? I mean, there's a national news presenter no, saying, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, so no, you've, you've, brought, you've raised a, a couple of uh, interesting things there is... You know, we're as an Irish consumer of news, I'm familiar with Shane Coleman and News Talk and kind of all, you know, all the major radio stations in Ireland. But I do think, I, I do think it is a house, it's a very, it's a house of cards. And I, I'll tell you why 
I frame it maybe slightly differently is the way if, the way I look at Ireland now is we lost Dublin, our capital city, as a as um to globalism maybe 10 years, 12 years ago. And John actually writes very specifically at what point that happened at in the 2012, 2011, 2012 period. But we kind of barely noticed it. Now what we're noticing is that our, our, our provincial towns are also gone and our county towns are gone. And where you're, where you're starting to see the fight back on some of these things is at the village level. It's where you know, your farmers, like there's a very interesting protest taking place in Kilmaley, County Clare, a little village, little tiny village, but the whole community have blockaded the road for the last week to 10 days to stop, you know, um, unlimited migration of, you know, subsuming their community. And it's frightened the government. But the knee-jerk reaction, not just from Shane Coleman, is from our elected elected politicians. Like I've heard Timmy Dooley and a few of the Fianna Fáil TDs come out and kind of say words to the effect that you don't have the right to question your, you know, the county councils have looked at this or the Department of Children have looked at this and they've come to a decision. And you, you as a community holder do not have a right to talk back to that power. So... It's a very interesting time at the moment because I think people in Ireland, especially rural Ireland, are very, very unhappy. And they just haven't, it hasn't kicked off in, a, you know, in the way you might expect yet. But I, I, I have no doubt that it's going to happen. They do this ad hominem thing. So from what I understand, look, in any country in the world, you will get people who don't like other people just for the sake of not liking other people. Look, we're not stupid. We know that these people exist. I would suggest they're a very, very, very small minority. The person who just doesn't oh, like yeah. the brown-skinned person. We we have them. We know that. But they're in a minority. So when, when I look at this, and I look at it as objectively as I possibly can, I continuously see very calm, very well-spoken people asking about the provision of services you know, saying to the government or to the RTE reporter, um, we mean it when we say we do not have a problem with Ireland doing its bit to to help with the the, the need to look after refugees and house refugees. Mm-hmm. We're, we're, we're saying that you, our governments for successive, successive governments, particularly in the last three to four years, have decimated public services. We don't have yeah, the facilities... Yeah. And and this is ignored by the media, and these people are referred to as right wingers or racists. Now that must be a very difficult thing for people to deal with, especially if they're new to these ideas that governments would 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 do that type of thing to them. It must be very frustrating for people. Hang on a second, I've pointed out to you. I don't mind Ireland helping genuine refugees. I'm saying I can't yeah. get to see a doctor. Will you listen to me? It must be very frustrating for yeah, them, Jerry. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, it it hundred hundred percent is hugely frustrating, and I think, um, especially for, you know, or the way the way I look at it, for ordinary people have, if you if I take my parents' generation, they have a very strong, you know, they have a, they used to have a you know, very stringent criticism of their government, but at a fundamental level, they thought they would do them no harm. 
on the big issues. And I think what people are waking up to in Ireland at the moment, and I, it's a very slow process. And you, um, but I do genuinely think is decisions that our government are making are going to affect us for generations to come now, whether it's on services or whatever it might be. And the governments are just refusing to have any tart kind of medium term or even long term discussion on what Ireland's going to look like in 15 years, in 20 years. And I, like, I think I know based on their behavior, what it's going to look like. So it's, it, it seems to be uh, a decision that has been taken um, with in conjunction with the European Union. And, uh, you know, probably Brexit did have a feed into it a little bit in terms of Ireland was asked to take up the slack or in some darkened corridors somewhere in Brussels. But we're we're starting to, you know, the last two years of migration into the country. And like my, my two kids, like my, my kids are half Irish, half Lithuanian. I have no problem with sensible inward migration where people are coming to join your nation and want to be part of your nation. But what we're seeing at the moment is people um, portraying Irish, you know, our own politician portraying the indigenous population as, you know, racist, far right, you know, you can pick your labels, all of which have been imported from the United States. I um, was asked some years ago, I was doing a gig in London and I was talking about this and my politics were always on the left and I was asked about what would constitute a sensible migration policy for a government. And I said, well, a sensible one would be when you cannot fill jobs because you've got um, you, you've, you've got a um, significant number of vacancies in any field and you can't fill them with, um, with, mm. with your current population you would basically license um, inward m- migration for a time period. You know, you would advertise mm. jobs, you would give contracts for two to three to four to five years. You wouldn't necessarily give citizenship based on that. You might give citizenship to some people, but you would do that. But but also, mm. at the same time, knowing that you might be asking 60,000 people to come in and fill jobs, in advance of that, you would quickly start to build houses. You would start to improve yes, services yes. in a neighbor, you yes. know, in in a given neighborhood, and then you would insist that you, you wouldn't get to wise these people. You, you know, these people would have to integrate when 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 they're here. But um, it, it's not unfair of me to say that the Irish government's immigration policy, much like the one here in the UK, is open door and none of that. Let's not make any effort to um yeah. to improve services to add to the services we have to cope with the increase in the population and that becomes disastrous and when people just like in Ireland Jerry when people ask about it well they are you know defamed i would say you know called hateful yeah. racist yeah and the thing is what the, the the problem now and i don't know if this is a post if this is a trauma post-COVID, is that people are very afraid to speak their mind on topics like this, even though they might have, you know, strong opinions on them. I've noticed um, in that they're they're almost self-censored. There's a lot of self-censoring, I feel, going going on within the general um, population here and just a quick anecdote like on you know the UK numbers I remember about maybe it's six months ago now but I was traveling across the north and I have I just flicked on the the radio to catch one of the BBC programs and there was a discussion on 
migration in the UK. And I says, okay, I'll have a quick listen to this. And they were having a heated debate, but everyone was kind of agreed there needed to be sensible migration um, policies put in place, blah, blah, blah. But they were talking about numbers of 170,000 at that point. Net. On a like-for-like basis, on a, on a per head of population basis, at that point in time, Ireland had taken in a million if we fleshed out our population numbers to the UK. In, at that point, um, so I think we had 120,000 taken in at that point. I heard that program. But like when you flesh Ireland's 5 million out to 60 or 70 million that is in the UK, like that's the numbers, that's the level we're at in Ireland. And it's, you know, it's almost, you know, got to this point with very little, except there is good work going on. You know, there's there's five or six writers like Louise Rosengrave, Ashleen O'Loughlin, Thomas Sheridan does it in his own unique way. And John Waters would be, you know, they would be people I would follow to see what they're thinking is on things. And they're all doing good work in an independent way. Jerry O'Neill is our guest. Let me give you um, his Substack details again. Go to westawake.substack.com. That's all one word, westawake.substack.com. And um, it's a counter-narrative look at the world we live in. It's um, funny, it's humorous, it's interesting. The writing is good. And Jerry is behind a festival which is taking place in Fermoy this weekend, Saturday and Sunday. It's called Tuha De Danan. Um, Tell us about mm-hmm. it. What, what, because you talk about regenerating Irish culture, spirit, community, music and art. So, following on from what we've been discussing, there are genuine fears that Ireland is going to, yeah. this is going to sound silly now, but that Ireland will lose its Irishness, ultimately. Mm-hmm. That it won't feel like Ireland, it won't look like Ireland, it won't sound like Ireland. Um that our culture is under threat, Jerry. Is that is that the basis for the festival? Yeah, and, well, I suppose the way I might put it is everything, we, what we've talked about up to this point, you find after you're talking about it, you might be in confrontational mood or a negative state of mind. The, 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 the concept of this festival is, is to try and create something positive. Um, and basically approach maybe this problem from a different angle in terms of often it's a great piece of art, piece of music, a play that captures the public's attention, whether through it's, that it speaks to the soul of the nation, if you like, and but in a you know in a positive, powerful way. So what I the idea for this festival is, you know, it's small. You know, we we'll, we we'll, we have maybe. 300 people coming over the weekend but they're all kind of of a creative bent you know musicians poets we have a play and we're we're examining the the themes of Ireland to kind of reconnect ourselves with them the mythology the spirit the land the fountains of knowledge is one segment then we also you know the crack the shadow the poets the healing so we're looking at 10 themes and we have different performers for each theme and I'm hoping what will come out of this is rather than, you know, events like this take, you know, they take a, a lot of work to put on and all that. But the idea is this is not is kind of to create something small that people take people come to the event and they might see a poet. And my 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 question to them would be then why not invite that poet into your back garden? 
or your garden shed or your community hall and bring um, those creative people, give those creative people as many outlets around the country, in the towns and villages to express themselves. And that our culture becomes a part of the fabric of our everyday lives again, uh, in a way that it isn't anymore. And I mean that not just for Irish people, but like, you know, we spoke on migration earlier on and I'm <clears throat> like, I would f frequently write that we have an open borders policy in Ireland at the moment, but that I am for a certain amount of migration. But if you, and the thing with that is if you invite people into your nation, access to our culture and our traditions and our language um, needs to be in their everyday life. They need to be bumping into it every day of the week. I asked John um, Ward with this. You know, I asked, I'd love to be at the festival at the weekend. I'd love to be there. Sadly, I can't be there. I've not been yeah, home for, for years, but maybe one day. Um, but it's something I would definitely engage with. I would, the two had day down and I will put a link to where people can get tickets and oh, read about it on the podcast. No, don't be silly. I'll, I'll do it on the podcast notes. Look, I asked John Waters this well. I'll ask you as well. Um, this is meant with the best of intentions. No, 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 um, yeah. nothing cheeky about this. What the hell is our culture? Um, I don't know what it well, is to be Irish and uh, anymore. Like, like if somebody well, was, this is, this, go ahead. Well, this is why I called the name. This is why it's called Tua de Danon, because I'm bringing us right. Well, when I, I say I, there's a, a large group of people that volunteers, and we kind of loosely call ourselves the Searsha Creatives. But we're, you know, we just we're all around the country, and we kind of meet up once or twice a year and have you know little events like this but the reason the reason i the reason we went for this title was we want to go right back to the beginning and the you know some of the people would be explained and you know the two the Danon were a, a kind of supernatural irish tribe pre-christian pre everything so we're going to kind of start and see what we can find so we have um, i think chief O'Donovan is going to be speaking on the the, the two of the Dan and first up to to explore what we can find and you know the things that are important traditionally and historically to Ireland are things like our music our crack our spirit and where that spirit comes from is very much tied to the ground underneath our feet and I think if we spend more time um you know you know on our land engaging with our culture that you know we'll bring it to some other place but it, it's often in times of crisis like like if you go back in history and you go you know you know Yeats and Lady Gregory and all you know in the turmoil pre our um the establishment of the Irish Free State is you know we had this rich cultural and literary um explosion because it was kind of an outlet for um us to express our discontent with the you know the situation we were in at the time, and I think this could be a ripe period for creativity, in a in, in you know in a strange way. So I don't know if that answers your question or not, Richie. It does, yeah, yeah. And like, if I was put, on, I didn't put you on the spot, of course, but if I was put on the spot and asked Irish culture, I would think of the things that I did when I was younger, the things I experienced, you know. So. I went yeah. to I went to farmers' days, farmers' fairs. We went to 
Um, we went to the beaches. We went to point-to-point racing. We went to Kaylee's. We went to Irish dancing yeah. competitions. These are uniquely Irish yeah. things. You know, it's not always the public. Because yes. I've got, like yourself, I've got contacts and friends around the world. And they, sometimes they would joke with me and say, Richie, what bloody culture do you have apart from Point of Guinness, you know, getting pissed up in the pub? And I say, well, no, that's that's not the case. Like when I was um, uh, in my late teens, my early 20s, it wasn't getting pissed up in the pub. It was doing lots and lots of things, going to watch live music where he didn't get pissed up. I mentioned the races, all the things that are Irish. Um, mm. and, and yeah, I can see how people. And there, yeah, you're you're a hundred you're hundred percent correct there. And but and one of the things that are historically Irish and it kind of ties in is the, the Gaelic uh, and our Gaelic GAA. games. Yeah, and one and one and one of the big questions I have in all of what's gone on over the last three years is where that organisation is in this country, and I mean the head of it because the way I would look at this, every village and town in Ireland has a GEA club. It's the last remaining pillar of our country if you take the churches gone and many would say for good reason um but the ga remains the single unique identifier of a, you know of an institution that's uniquely irish that remains and they've i think let down the country savagely over the last three years they've gone a, they've gone a bit woke haven't they i read a disturbing story it's going to sound a bit dramatic now disturbing maybe it's not so disturbing but i read a story about how they've taken this they, they've stopped keeping score in games when, when girls are playing camogie when boys are playing hurling up to the age of 12 or, or thereabouts they've stopped keeping mm. score so that children don't get too <laughs> upset about losing and stuff like that i mean this you know disturbing mm. is probably a bit strong but that's i played hurling briefly when I was a, a young boy I played soccer pretty much all through my childhood and teens I wasn't great didn't do me any harm losing 3-0 to Southend United it didn't lose me <laughs> you know it's stuff like that you know you, you wonder where are they I mean, you're yeah. right you're right to say how important it is the, the Gaelic League of course the, the, then laterally the mm-hmm. Gaelic Athletic Association our national games which are amazing I'm, I used to be so proud I used to be a tour guide at mm-hmm. Waterford Crystal and I worked at Waterford Crystal for three mm-hmm. summers, bringing American and British tourists around during the summer. And inevitably, Jerry, they would happen upon the Sunday game and the All-Ireland quarterfinals, Tipperary against Kilkenny or something like that. And they would say to me, Jesus, what a game that is. What a sport. I've never seen yeah. anything like it. And they would become hooked. And I used to be bursting with pride. He'd say, oh, you have your American football, your basketball, but this is a proper game, you know. This is a real game. Yeah, and 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 that was a that was a uniform thing we all were proud of in this country. Like yeah, that. and like I, I played lots of Gaelic f- football. Like it was like you couldn't get me to stop kicking a ball when I was a, a kid. And the culture of that growing up, it has you know it had <laughs> its downsides and its upsides. But the the you know it brought you. It, it was a it was a method of for, especially for young Irish males is to bring you into adult adulthood because you were you know from 15, 16, surrounded by men of 35, 40, who are, you know, kids going one way and yeah. <laughs> some of the guys going the other way. But yeah. it was, it, it still has a massive important function at the local village and town level in, in its amateur ethos. My issue with them is really that the corporate head of it is now almost, it seems to me, piping some of this um 
progressive ideology almost out through it. So when you talk about stuff like not taking scores in games and, you know, the the ladies' GA recently, you know, they had the change, they had some rule change on allowing um, transgender um, people identifying as trans women um, or girls playing in their sports. And again, it's a situation where I'm not, you know, if somebody's just um, gender dysphoric, I'm 100% empathetic to the situation of the individual I'm, I'm 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 always approaching this as who's pushing the ideology on everyone and does it actually help that individual and my argument in this on that one is absolutely not that definitely doesn't and it's potentially ruining the lives of you know scores and scores and hundreds of more kids who otherwise would have been not affected it's also a tragic thing to me, I've been in radio and, and journalism since the late 90s. You started this by saying, you know, and first of all, I don't have any issues with people. That's a terrible thing. That's something I wish had never happened, but we didn't do enough to stop that. Um, people yeah. begin these sentences with, oh, hey, listen, before I go any further now, I don't have any issues with immigration or I don't have any issues with gay people or whatever. It's terrible. They've, they've managed yeah. to put nations yeah. of people on the back foot straight away when we should just say without any preamble. Yeah, yeah. And I find myself doing this, by Absolutely. the way. Absolutely. No preamble. Just listen, well, listen, it's wrong. It's wrong to put a biologically male kid in with a bunch of girls. Yeah. It's wrong. He has an advantage yeah. and it is wrong. And there are safeguarding issues for the girls in terms of changing rooms and stuff. This is wrong. But we feel we've been kind of not we haven't been brainwashed but we've been pressured into going into the preamble hey listen first of all i'm actually a good person i have no problems with you know the 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 trans people and i'm trying not to do that it's not bloody easy though Mm -hmm. you know just not to say that but you know um you're you're innocent no no go ahead jerry you were it's one of those it's like i you know the 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 trans you know I, i went into this in detail about a year ago and wrote a couple of articles on us um and learned a lot of stuff i didn't know and um on the so like on the on the subject and i what what i wanted i suppose what i really want to make clear in this sense is that the person the person that is suffering maybe maybe suffering isn't the right word but from dysphoria the people pushing this ideology do not care about that person. And that's the myth, I think, that needs to be exploded. Because um, I've, um, I've I've met maybe two or three people during the course of kind of looking into this that identify as trans um, around me in, you know, Galway. And when I sat down to them and I, I, I talked to them and we'd have, you know, we had two-hour conversations on the subject about themselves. And what I came away from that was, you know, if the individual person I was talking to was representing what is happening to that person, I'd have no problem. Because these the, the, the individuals are not looking, that I've met I, anyway, are not looking for this range of, um, you know, almost an attack on children at that level. 
they just want to live their lives, the individuals. Yeah. But it's the you know it's the the progressive ideology, and it's definitely you know from my point of view, it's come out of the United States, probably the Ivy League centers of education in the United States, and it's made its way over here. And what the curious thing about it making its way over here in the last, especially hard in the last eighteen months, is you, there's already been two years ago there was a backlash in the U.S. to all this stuff. And the tide had started to turn back again. And Ireland just seemed to double down on us at the point when, you know, it's being, reje- being rejected in a lot of states in the United States. Um, so, I, you know, uh, how, how that has come about is, you know, an area probably worth discussing in Ireland at a, uh, with, with, you know, different people uh, at another point is, you know, the number of NGOs in Ireland and what, uh, what, what are, what's their true intent of being here? Yeah, it's an incredible lobby that 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 particular lobby group, oh. and it's got its you know it's got it's got um, fingers and pies and tentacles everywhere. Um, it's very very persuasive. People generally tend. I mean, we we, we see how there, there there has been a pushback here. Stonewall had managed to persuade lots and lots of state bodies in this country, but also educational bodies to allow Stonewall um, to write its. Um, um, inclusivity policies, but 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 there's been a bit of pushback yeah. on that recently. Thankfully, in this country, let me read a couple of quick comments um, as they come in. Cahill says, "I wish the people in the south were as worried about criminal immigrants in the six counties 100 years ago." That's an interesting point. Alice says this: "I think we see a big part of our culture at funerals, talking about our social customs. The bereaved are so well looked after, particularly in rural Ireland. Everybody swoops in. You drown in food and goodwill. It is unbelievable." And she says, "When a local oddball or loner passes away, having been part of the community on." their terms the attendance at the funerals is always huge that's um uh, uh alice and gary is in gary owen and he says fun fact there are more openly gay players in the gaa than the whole of the premier league um that's um the straight gay from mm-hmm. gary owen i don't know if that's true but i don't see why he'd mm-hmm. say that is that right there are more out gaa players than there are soccer players in I- england that's interesting. Well, I, 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 I have no idea, but I would say I my thing is why wouldn't it like why wouldn't yeah. um if someone was gay, why wouldn't they be out? Yeah. Um, like I've never it's almost to me like that isn't I don't see a reason why anyone would wouldn't be out as gay or lesbian in Ireland. Um especially you know, like when I go back to my own college years, we'll say the mid nineties, late nineties, um these, you know, and when things were very, you know, we were coming out of a very closeted period of our history, the 60s, 70s, maybe 70s and 80s, and the, the influence of the church. The 90s was almost a, an explosion of, I felt personally, as like an explosion of freedom where these things were, um, the, the state had behaved so badly on some of these things uh, in our history that it was like, we we um we looked at what way gay people were treated in Ireland, and we made considerable steps to eradicating some of that legislation in some cases 
um, that um, discriminated against him. So in in a sense, I from from my from the mid nineties, I I've always whether it's right whether I'm <clears throat> a good example or not. I was taught that's a, anyone that's gay or lesbian should be very free to come out in and speak about it in Ireland. And I would see no reason why that wouldn't be the case in the GEA. So this I, is um, it's true. I'm glad to hear it's true. No, you, you've touched on something massively important there now. And there might be an article in this for you, I reckon. Uh, there might be a programme in this for me. You've um, So you've opened up a whole can of worms here. Um, I went through the 90s. Okay. I went, I went, this is brilliant. I went through, through university in the 90s. I began working in the 90s. I lived in London. I came back. I went to London. Um, this is amazing. So what Jerry has said is true. In the 1990s, the nation of Ireland, the people of Ireland, determined for themselves, by the way, there were no NGOs, there were no woke television yeah. and radio presenters. The people of Ireland decided for themselves that gay and lesbian people were just as integral members of the community as anybody else was or were, and that there, it was ludicrous to even contemplate the notion of discriminating against gay and lesbian people. This was an organic thing, and it happened naturally. It didn't need people to go into primary schools and start fucking, excuse my language, with the minds of children, telling them that they had to do this yes. and they had to learn about masturbation. None of that happened. But the people of Ireland, good people, like the people of most countries are good um, because we grow up and we live and we learn. And as Jerry said, you're suspicious of the state and what the state has done to people. And you say to yourselves, we, we, it's a subconscious thing. We don't, we don't put up with what went on in the 70s and 80s. Gay people should not be bashed. They shouldn't be discriminated against and turned down for a job just because of their um, sexual orientation. This is brilliant stuff, Jerry. That is exactly what happened. I'm not um, looking at this with rose-tinted spectacles. There were no movements. There were no um, huge no. government initiatives. People did the right thing. By themselves with no interference. The yeah, yeah, but it also, you know, and that comes back to that comes back to personal freedoms. Like yeah. that's why, you know, and and in terms of, I trust. Like in terms of my writing is like rather, than, and I might be opinionated on some things, but mostly if I do something that I'm happy with, it's because I've raised questions in it. And the idea is, you get. I don't want to basically people to wake up necessarily i just want them to start asking questions talking they again. start asking questions they, they'll make or they can be trusted to follow the right path if you like absolutely do you know what I mean? people this idea is that if you give people to it's almost like if we give people um free if we don't take back some freedom they'll start making decisions we don't like and historically that in my lifetime that has not been the case is that the more freedom the more freedom that's available to people, the better society becomes. And, you know, historic wrongs are um, righted. I think this is terrific. You're absolutely bang on the money. My my first radio job was producing um, a man called Billy McCarthy. Billy's not with us any longer, sadly. Billy was gay. And in the second or third okay. run of interviews... Um, he took me aside and, you know, let me know that I was kind of a favourite candidate. And he asked me, did I have any issues working for a gay man? And he wasn't setting me up for a fall. He was genuinely interested. Mm -hmm. The vibe I got was that if mm -hmm. I said, well, I don't have any time for gays, I probably would have gotten the gig in any case. And our relationship would have been very professional and that would have been the end of it. 
But mm. um, yeah, it was it was a really interesting conversation. And I said, um, why would I? I you know, do I, I you know, do, do I have to expect you chasing me around the office jokingly? And he laughed at it, and <laughs> yeah, he, yeah. he laughed at it, and um, we often talked thereafter about you know the trials and tribulations that gay men, predominantly gay men, not so much lesbian women, had to put up with in the 70s and 80s. But what a brilliant um, segue this is, Jerry. That is what happened. People did the right thing instinctively because instinctively we are good people. And you've also hit on something hugely important there as well. They don't want this talking openly and freely because when we do we will quickly find that most people are good people and the Egypts, and there are not too many of them, who are not particularly good, I'm not saying that we excommunicate them, but they generally tend to fall by the wayside. You know, that's what happens. Absolutely, absolutely. absolutely. But our addiction to them then decreases. They're afraid, in a sense, if you like, the power, you know, the power center, and, you know, I I I'm inter- I do like to focus on the, the centers of power as they're emerging and hold them to account. But in a sense, if you look at this in a way, is they're trying to make the general population, and by they I mean our public institutions, European institutions, in the case of Ireland, and you know our American U- U.S. influences, they're trying to make us more addicted to them, yeah, not less. And and. That is the problem, and I think COVID was the COVID was COVID, whatever your thoughts on COVID, that period, pandemic period was. It did give the people a comfort, not a, a comfort at being told what to do constantly, and that kind of that psychology still still exists. I think in a lot of the general population is they're kind of got used to being told what to do and not pushing back, and. You know, I could go on all day about the pandemic, but I won't, um, because we've we've all talked about it to death. To death, yeah. You can see the pan- you you can see the pandemic psychology in the war in Ukraine. If anyone's when people start talking about it, you're talking about this. People are hijacking this for the greater good term, um, and that you know, as if we ordinary person don't think about the common good all the time or can't be trusted to and the, the actual fact of the matter is we think about the common good 10 times more than most of these power structures that you know that have such an influence on our lives especially here in Ireland so that you know that's a really interesting point is, as well I'm going to read a few more quick comments Clifton says don't worry Clifton is in Waterford how are you doing Clifton um uh, don't worry about Agenda 2030 uh, because the clowns in charge here will fuck it up, he says. They couldn't run a bath. Yeah, it's something There's I'd like to believe. in that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You go along with that. Well, I think what you will, well, what you can see, what what's being revealed, the great revelation is our government, our, the Irish government has no power. All these decisions are happening outside of Ireland that are affecting our lives, whether it's through the NGO class or whether it's through the European institutions like the European Commission. So what's been the reveal, you know, if there's one big reveal for me over the last three years is, oh my God, we don't actually have any freedom to decide our own fate anymore on certain things. And, and like it's been, it's just very clear now in terms of that 
the the last year and a half since we came out of the pandemic with the you know with the migration situation and um also with the the transgender and you can see it with the climate stuff here as well you know the climate um agenda here as well it's again we have to do this for the creative goods it's they can, let's reframe that and say your government is saying we need to take some of your more of your personal freedom away and we can't tell you a date we're going to ever give it back to you. Yeah, it never comes back. It and, never comes back. And now it's not and now they're not even promising that it will come back. You know, so we we you know I, I you know, I, I, I won't get too exercised about that. <laughs> I mean I won't I won't ramble on about that too much, but it's almost like they have an over the, the power structures in this country and Europe have a sense of ownership over our freedom and you can see it you, you know you can just see it in the response to certain questions and that the point you raised about Jane Coleman earlier it's like well you know that's ours to take away it's not yours to give remember um i mentioned it often fanula ni alon an irish lawyer who used to work at the united nations that's not to be held against her Fascinating lady. When lockdown was announced, she was invited to speak to Dermot Murnahan on Sky News and she was horrified. Mm -hmm. She was horrified at the in-depth nature of the documentation that was basically uploaded online by the British government to say, here's the legalese, we're going into lockdown to flatten the curve. And she said as an expert, as a lawyer, she said, um, this stuff has been in a drawer for some time, waiting for the opportunity to use it. This hasn't been drafted yeah. in an emergency situation. Mm. And she was bang on the money. She said, uh, you know, anything you agree to give away or is taken from you, as you said, it won't come back. Let me just quickly remind our listeners, you're listening to Jerry O'Neill. Go to westawake.substack.com to read his blog. Thousands read it. It's very well written. I'm not just saying that. And this weekend, dear listener, in Fermoy, in Cork, Saturday the 27th, Sunday the 28th, um, there are some tickets available. So get on to the website. Just look for the Tuha de Danon Festival, Cork, Fermoy, this weekend. You'll have poets, you'll have musicians, storytellers, researchers, Jerry will be there. Um, some brilliant people, by the way, um, over two days. And yeah. I think €99 Euro for a two-day pass for a single person. I think it's bloody good value, to be honest. There are also deals for uh, a family of four as well. Can I just ask you before, because we've probably got yeah. 10, 15 minutes left today, um, a mutual friend mm -hmm. of ours, we won't mention the mutual friend okay. by name for the moment, but suggested that you might <laughs> be a little bit stressed because inevitably there are those who would like your festival which looks beautifully um artistic and and uh you use the word fail which is fantastic there are those who might attempt to prevent going ahead should i not even talk about that or uh, uh no look it's it's the the it's the usual kind of background noise is the way I look at it. Um, there is no question that this uh, <laughs> this event is going ahead, but it's people making a nuisance of themselves. Um, you know, I wouldn't even give them the time of day because if I have to sit in a field myself, we'll be having this festival. Good so, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'll leave that one there. 
100%. Two today, Dan, and this weekend, the Saturday and Sunday, it's uh, eventbright.ie, by the way. That's the website, eventbright, mm-hmm. and bright is B-R-I-T-E dot I-E. That's where yeah. you'll get tickets. And it does look like a fantastic couple of days out, by the way. So, um, so well, I, I, hopefully, and the weather's looking good too for looking uh, very good for Ireland. So, hopefully, we just we're well, I'm down here now, and we're just getting we're we're, we're, we're there's a group, and I should uh, highlight this. There's a group of over twenty five volunteers helping me. This isn't just this isn't about me. It's really about the group, and it's really about community. And the, you you know the ticket prices we try to make them. You probably know yourself putting on events are, is an is an expensive can be an expensive business. I mean, you don't know what you're doing like me. It can be even it's more the for, first time. Yeah, but yeah. the i but the idea of this is that it's a community that there's no this isn't you know that there is that there is no difference between performers and then attendees. Many of the attendees are talented uh, creators in their own right. It's just that. Um, there's been a limited, you know, there's a limited number uh, of people that you can get involved in over two days. But this is very much a kind of coming together and building of community of arts, culture, language, all of, and all of the rest of it. And that people enjoy themselves and somebody might have the spark to create a poem or a song or a piece of writing or a piece of thought that is that is almost that makes a difference to what's going on in Ireland. And I have no idea what that might be. And, but I'm hopeful that something like that can spark. And um, because I think the Irish, you know, I, Irish people to me, and uh, as an Irish man is things that speak to our soul that resonate with our soul, as opposed to our thoughts sometimes is, is the thing that is the catalyst for, you know, of, change and so this is just kind of a different element to the writing and that kind of stuff that i do and that you know it's all about positivity and people kind of coming to relax enjoy themselves and hopefully somebody has a spark that creates something new i love it jerry let's um leave it there for today we'll chat again you and i will yeah. we'll, we'll do a show we'll get into some of the political issues in, in more depth but let me um just before i give you the final word to Hadee Dannon, this Saturday and Sunday, Fermoy in Cork, Eventbrite, B-R-I-T dot I-E. I will put the exact link on the podcast notes for the show. If I was anywhere near um, the area or anywhere in Ireland or beyond where I could get there, I would, I, I'd be there in, in a heartbeat. This is right up my uh, my street. Um, so Jerry, first of all, before I give you the final word, the best of luck this coming weekend. You're, you're right, the weather looks like it's set fair. You'll have a fantastic time, I reckon, with like-minded people and uh, may the crack be mighty over the weekend. So final word to you, pal. Well, thanks a million, Richie, just for having me on and for, um, you know, the conversation. I'm, just, I'm a follower of your work and um, an admirer of your work. So, and, you know, it's thanks very much for uh, for having me on and um, just like to say that, you know, people are welcome and they, they know the various ways to come um to get to to get to the event anyone that's listening to and 
uh, Ireland, and I think my I made the mistake put my phone number on to the poster, so and that's a rookie mistake, Jerry. A rookie mistake. I've done it myself. I've do you know I've done that very thing when I first started doing this show back in 2014. My personal mobile number ended up on the Facebook um, the, the image that that uh, absolutely hammered with calls for about three weeks. So, but uh, I got some stories out of it too, so I can't complain. Yeah. But yeah, you know, it's yeah. been, a, been a pleasure to meet you. Yeah, I, 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 I've known of you, of course. And um, let's give a plug again to westawake.substack.com, which is a terrifically well-written blog. And um, you'll get links to The Gypsy Show. Tell me the name of it again, The Gypsy Show. Remind me. Scholar, the, the Scholar, Scholar Gypsies. Gypsies, that's right. The Scholar Gypsies, where you'll see Jerry in conversation with fascinating people like John Waterson and many others. So um, again, Godspeed to you, Jerry, over the weekend. And all that's left Thanks, for me to Richie. say is Sloan Tommel. Thank you and best of luck to you, Richie. Thank you. Thanks, Jerry. He's a busy man. He's got plenty to do ahead of Saturday. Jerry O'Neill live on Wednesdays. I had to think about that for a minute. Uh, Richie Allen radio show. Jerry is the man behind the Two Head Day Dannon Festival this coming weekend in Formoy in Cork. It's 22 minutes past the hour. I don't know if I'll turn the phone lines on now. I don't know if I'll do that because we haven't got a lot of time, have we? I'm not sure we have. What I'll do while um, we figure out where we're going next, I've got a few things to tell you anyway, is I will take a tune. Um, I don't have any Christy Moore lined up. I don't have any Dubliners lined up or any Luke Kelly lined up. And that's maybe a bit stupid, isn't it, really? In light of what we were talking about. So, what have I got for you? <laughs> I've got Paddy. Yeah, that's what I've got. That's what I've got, dear listener. I've got an Irish tune for you. Why not? Because it makes bloody sense, doesn't it? After talking about Irish culture and song and story and poetry coming up this weekend in Cork. Dublin City. Yeah, that's uh, Paddy Watchorn and Rare Old Times. Rare Old Times on the Richie Allen Show Wednesday's programme. It's lovely and warm outside. Still 16 degrees and it's sunny. So good luck to everybody taking part in the Two Head Day Dannon Festival for my this week end. Diane asks, is there a link to it? Sounds a bit like the Tiernasair festivals we hosted. There is, Diane. If you look for it online, you'll come up with it. Just put Fermoy Two Head Day Dannon Festival. You'll get it straight away. Eventbrite.ie for the tickets. And if I mention it again, it'll be believed that I'm somehow getting some sort of cut. I'm not. I love to support stuff like that. Richard Kelly says, we will be there, Jerry, without fail. And thanks to Craig for his message. Uh, Craig, I, 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 I genuinely enjoy highlighting my own ignorance. You've um, sent me a link to uh, a Wikipedia page about Frank Buckman. Um, Frank Buckman, the Amer American Lutheran who founded the First Century Christian Fellowship. Now, that, that's all I know about Frank Buckman for my sins. I know very little else about him. Um, but Craig has um, posted a link and an interesting comment about him. I don't know if I should read it out, Craig, because I, I can't interact with it because I know very little about this guy, uh, Frank Buckman. I should educate myself, really. And that's down to my complete lack of interest in organised religion when I was in my teens. I mean, I couldn't have cared less about organised religion when I was in my teens. And um, I don't know whether that's to my regret or whether I don't care one way or the other. I just don't know. But I had no interest. We used to get sent to Mass by hypocritical parents. Now, I don't want to be bashing my, my own parents particularly. I've done that once or twice over the years. But I suppose like many other children, we were sent to Mass on Sunday by parents who didn't attend themselves. And this obviously has 
an impact on the psyche of a young boy or a young girl. This disgusting hypocrisy. You've got to go. And they would ask you to, you know, when you came home, they would ask you to tell them which gospel was, was read during the reading of the gospel. This sort of crap. So I, I lost interest. You know, and in my teens and 20s, the only time I ever set foot in a church was for a funeral or a wedding. And in my circle of friends, there weren't too many of those, really, you know. But, um, yeah, maybe I should know more, at least about the foundations of uh, of these religions. Speaking about COVID rules, Jenny says, I didn't find it comforting being told what to do during the COVID scam. Quite the opposite, says uh, says Jenny. Well, Jenny, you were like me. You didn't obey any of the... I, I mean, I, I make the point sometimes I didn't obey. There were certain things I wanted to do which I couldn't do because businesses were closed, you know. So I might have liked to go to a pub. And if a pub had opened around my neighbourhood, if a publican had said, saw you to the government and opened his or her pub, I would have gone in for a pint, but there was nowhere to go. But with respect to moving around, going where I liked, I went wherever I liked, I drove wherever I liked, I didn't give a damn. I was asked once by a police community support officer, much derided, much mocked, much ridiculed, the PCSOs are not real police officers, they, I don't know what they are, glorified security guards, and they walk around communities. Once, and I mentioned this before, but I did only mention it once, I think, um, round about April maybe late April 2020, I was in town running. And of course, at this time, you were not supposed to be so many miles away from your domicile. But I was quite a good way away from my home. And a police community support officer had the temerity to, had the balls, basically, to ask me where did I live and where was I running. And um, I'm not playing the big guy now. If People listening to this know me. They know that I don't uh, pull any punches. I told the person to fuck off and mind their own business. Don't dare ask me where I'm going or where I'm running. It's none of your business. The guy was aghast. Didn't say anything. So I just carried on. That was the only time. We drove to the country, the missus and myself, and we were never stopped or asked. Um, But if we had been stopped or asked, the response would have been the same and it might have led to me being arrested, maybe and then charged with um, verbally abusing a police officer, but uh, that, that's how I would have behaved, you know. Melanie says you need a moral compass to do the right thing. I believe most people are decent. That's been my experience. As a producer of news, as a journalist, I, I've probably met more people in terms of having in-depth conversations with more people than most, Right. So I'm, I'm above average in terms of meeting people, in terms of the volume of people over the years. I don't know how many people, I don't know what the average is for, the, for, for a human being. How many people would you have a conversation with throughout the course of your lifetime? I'd be above the average number because of the job that I do and did. And I would say the great majority of people, and you get a good nose for people as a journalist, the great majority of people are decent. They are decent inside and out and have a good sense of morality, regardless of their creed, their colour, whatever. Most people are good. And that was a really interesting segue, I think, uh, from Jerry in the programme when he talked about, you know, the Celtic Tiger in Ireland, how that coincided with a, a more, I don't want to say liberal because 
conservatives listening to the programme just won't understand what I mean. But tolerance was a very natural thing. And I don't mean that people didn't tolerate gay and lesbian and trans people. You you wouldn't have seen many trans people um, in the 60s, 70s and 80s. But um, I suppose it wasn't spoken about. And I suppose back then, gay and lesbian people were very, 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 very careful and would would have let in very few people, you know, on the fact that they were in a same-sex relationship. But in the 90s, it became a better place for gay, lesbian and trans people. And again, it's very important, the point Jerry made was not because of any policy, not because of any pressure from any stonewall group or anything like that, but because people are fundamentally good. And it occurred to people, because we grow, we learn, or we're supposed to anyway, you know, as the years pass, it occurred to people naturally that, sure, it doesn't really matter whether Billy is gay or whether um, Anne is lesbian. And it doesn't matter if Brian chooses to identify as a woman. Sure, what difference does it make? You know, they're, they're good people. These are characteristics that really are of no consequence whatsoever. And I swear, if there is a God, I swear to God, this is how it was, for, for me anyway, and for my friends. Doesn't matter. We didn't have to be told that. We didn't have to be gaslit or, you know, insulted by being told that we had unconscious bias and that we needed training. We didn't need to be told to be allies of the gay and lesbian community and trans community. We didn't have, not, none of that was necessary. It wasn't necessary to go into schools to tell children, hey, listen now, you um, accept the gay people, right? There was no need for any of that nonsense. None of it. Because people are fundamentally decent. And instinctively know that it doesn't matter. That's the thing that pisses me off now when they're, you know, going about companies asking people to sign up to these initiatives. And they are doing this to be allies of their gay colleagues. That really pisses me off. Because it presupposes, doesn't it, that, well, you've got to have some problem with it. Well, I couldn't give a shit, really. It's Mark. Mark is gay. I don't care. <laughs> he's good at his job. And when we have the company days out, he's great crack. End of story. That's what happened. It didn't need to be preempted by programmes, national programmes, media programmes. People are just bloody good, the majority of people. They are. You know this, I know this. Even the idiots who went along with the scam, even the fools who did the curtain twitching, and might have picked the phone up and might have said, that guy, that, that Irish guy there in Salford, he's got neighbours over from the other end of Manchester. He's got friends over from the other side of Manchester. He's got more than one group in his own. Even those idiots, they're not bad people. People are mostly good people. Melanie says, in her opinion, trans is a cruel agenda out of, out of the UN leading to transhumanism, says Melanie. The trans community are victims and guinea pigs. So much money being made out of the misery, says Melanie. Now, Diane, the transsexual woman who has agreed to come back on the programme very soon, and will arrange that very soon, and I will, um, would, would argue that she's nobody's victim. There's definitely a generational gap in, in this, isn't there? You know, there are trans women who have not had any surgery, but live as women, who I've met through Paul Ripley at Fab Radio, 
a particular lady called Mandy, I think, um, a particular trans woman called Mandy, um, who who readily say, yeah, I'm not a woman, but I prefer to live as a woman. And I'm very comfortable living as a woman. So if you don't mind, like, no, of course we don't mind you. You carry on. Isabel is the owner of two dogs and would like to share and also a, her dog owner friend's experience about people's attitude towards dogs nowadays. Attitudes in particular to other dog owners. Without exaggeration or generalisation, I can tell you that everything nowadays gets blown out of proportion by other dog owners. I see it every day. If your dog runs towards their dog, you are accused of being irresponsible and your dog is accused of being out of control. If your dog is humping another dog, their owner has a fit and orders you to get your effing dog off. If two dogs have a little spat, the other dog owner screams that he'll go to the police to denounce your dog attacking theirs. Another thing that happens, more and more, is the other dog owners threaten to film you and your dog. For what, says Isabel. These things happen every day. My friends have experienced this regularly. I've been feeling for quite a while now that there is a weird change of attitude towards dogs, particularly from other dog owners who are supposed to know better due to being dog owners themselves. So when dogs are accused of having attacked others or of being aggressive, I would want to see specific proof before believing it and certainly before shouting at them. Here's my theory. Isabel asks or poses a very interesting um, question. Um, A lot of people who knew nothing about dogs or handling dogs or managing dogs or caring for dogs took it upon themselves during 2020 in particular to go out and get a dog, didn't they? We see this everywhere. We saw the consequences of this in 2021 when the dog homes or the kennels were full up all over the country because people were abandoning dogs. We, we definitely saw that. And for those who hung on to the dogs, um, these people who are relatively new dog owners, they don't have the first clue when it comes to dog behaviour. They don't understand by looking at a dog whether a dog is genuinely being hostile or whether this dog is just being rambunctious. They don't understand the interaction between dogs, the growling, you know, the the barking. They don't get it, so they freak. I have had this myself with my dogs. Not just the German Shepherd, I've had it with the Golden Retriever, who's uh, very happy and who likes to be running around other dogs. Yeah, there are a lot of people now, walking dogs, who have no experience of it, don't understand dogs, and have taken, who have made no effort to educate themselves as to how dogs interact with one another. I've seen it myself. When the German Shepherd was very young, she was an annoying, an annoying little bastard, right? So we would, the thing to do when you get a pup is to immediately socialise it with other dogs. You must do this. You must, when it's a pup, particularly when it's a pup. So it's eight weeks, it's ten weeks. Get it into other dogs. Get it into a crowd of other dogs. Why? I'll tell you why. Because the other dogs, the older dogs, will train that dog on your behalf. They will nip it. They will batter it. They will paw it. They will smack it across the face. They will growl at it and chase it when it is being a bit of a bastard. That's what the local dogs did with our German Shepherd, Bobby Jean. Bobby Jean is an angel. An angel might be stretching it. Uh, She's nearly two and she can still be a bit of a pain in the arse. But... She learned her manners from the pack. 
And more than once, people panicked when she was a pup and their dog was jumping on my dog. People panicked and apologised to me. Oh, I'm really sorry, screaming and grabbing their dog. And I'm like, will you stop, will you? Let your dog batter mine around a bit. It'll do her no harm whatsoever. A lot of people got dogs who know nothing about them and made no effort to learn how to train their dog. And they shit themselves. They really do. I see it when we walk Bobby Jean. I see it, people panicking, picking their dogs up and running away. What are you doing? So, Isabel, I hear you loud and clear. It's not great. (laughs) A lot of dogs. And Manchester Dogs Home is full to the brim with dogs. And there is, um, there is a theory doing the rounds. I'm not going to say the theory because it'll upset you. And I don't want to do that. But um, they're not rehoming these dogs, do you get me? And there are a lot of experienced dog owners who might be coming to the end with their own dog. You know, Rex might be 14, 15 now. Rex might even have died. Right, it's time now. I've mourned Rex. I want to go and get a dog. And there are a lot of very good people who won't buy a dog, which is good. Which is good. You're a hypocrite, Richie. I'm not, I'm not. We rescued Leah and we were given Bobby Jean. We rescued Leah from a couple who had spent a fortune on her and didn't want her because they couldn't cope with her. So we said, we'll have her and we'll give you less money than you paid. Here you go. Um, otherwise, she was going to... Um, she was going to the to the dog's home. But I've lost my train of thought now. But yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, the, the dog homes are full of dogs. This is true. I'm not making this up. I know this to be true, not conjecture. And experienced dog owners are not being invited in to take a dog. Or if they are, they are being asked to jump through hoops. Like home visits and all sorts of stuff. In, in principle, I don't have a problem with the dog home taking going to great lengths to make sure the dog is going to a suitable home, but they're taking the piss in terms of the investigations they are doing into the potential dog owners. You know, so dogs are being destroyed that could be given to people who are, like me and like Isabel seemingly, dog people. People who know dogs. Hayden Hewitt, dog man. Paul Ripley, engineer extraordinaire, cat man. Loves these cats. Paul. In fact, Paul had to put his 17-year-old cat to sleep on Tuesday. God love him. So he was a bit of a wreck, understandably, yesterday. His uh, wonderful, beautiful daughter, Sam, accompanied him to um, the, um, the, the, uh, the surgery. It was all very humane and very quick. And she was buried in the garden with Paul's cat. Particularly sad for Paul, of course, because um, Maxine, his wife, who passed away late last year, cat lady too, and the cat would have been very special. So we love our animals. But yeah, a lot of people have dogs, picked up dogs, and they don't know what they're doing. They haven't a clue. It doesn't matter whether the dog is big, medium or small, they don't know. And it's a mess, isn't it? I'm going to take another tune, dear listener. When I come back, it's um, more chat. I'll read more of your comments, and then I'll get off the air. Come here and I tell you, what I'm going to do tomorrow is I'm going to start early and finish a little earlier. The reason for that is I'm going to see United tomorrow night. They've got two home games left and I'm going to both of them. Um, I'm entitled to it. I work hard enough. So I'm going to start at 4.30 tomorrow. Listen to me now. 4.30. Make a note of it. What I'll do is we'll do a half hour run through the news and then I'm going to take your phone calls tomorrow until 6.30. 
Then I'm going to run all the way down the road to Old Trafford to watch the game. So 4.30 start tomorrow, you hear me? Are you listening, I asked you? Good on you. 4.30 start tomorrow. Um, half an hour news and then 90 minutes of, say it for me, of a, um, um, Jesus, Richie, a uh, phone-in. So 4.30 to 6.30 tomorrow. That's a one-off, just a one-off, so that I can go to see the game and I'm not rushing to try and get into my seat uh, because I wouldn't have enough time to do that were I to do 5 to 7, you get me? Okie dokie. I think you read me loud and clear. Here's Cat Stevens, Yusuf Islam. And this is this is Peace Train on the Richie Allen Show. The time is quarter to seven. Yeah, it's marvellous, Cat Stevens, but I'm going to interrupt it because there's some brilliant comments coming in. Thank you for them. Uh, William Henderson. William, you should put a link um, to your own. William does a, a podcast and uh, I, I saw it once. I don't have a lot of time to watch stuff and in the evenings I'm just too knackered. But I saw it once. It's, um, it's, it's very good. It's uh, thought-provoking stuff. He asks me, will I do a show on geoengineering? What can we add to it though, William? We know it's going on. You know my great friend Hayden Hewitt, who, along with Paul Ripley, we're like the, um, we're like the, we're not the three degrees, somebody will call us racist, uh, I don't know, we're like a shamrock. Um, the radio show exists, I mean technically now, and I mean logistically, because I'm not going to mention the people who have supported it financially over the years, because I've done that before, amazing people. But logistically, there's me, Paul and Hayden, and nobody has done more than Paul and then Hayden to keep this show on the air. And Hayden is an open-minded guy. He won't have it that heavy metals are being sprayed into the ionosphere. He doesn't believe it. And funnily enough, when I first started doing this programme, he used to get trolled unmercifully by listeners and the listeners were silly because they didn't realise that Hayden has got skin like a rhino. He he just laughs and he would goad them for um, for calling him names. They used to call him a shill and all these stupid fucking names. But um, he doesn't believe it's it's happening. Not, not that it isn't possible, but he doesn't believe they're doing it. And he believes that they're contrails. And you'll be shaking your head now, fair enough. But that's, um, that's his opinion. He's absolutely entitled to it. Like I've said a thousand times, um, apart from Paul, nobody has done more to make sure that I, me, Richie Allen, has been able to talk about these things on uh, public platforms. Him. That's why I love the man. I would die for Hayden Hewitt. Paul Ripley goes without saying. We don't have to even speak about Paul. Because he would say to me back in 2014, give over with your chemtrails, will you? And then make sure that the show had the best possible chance on air. But he doesn't buy it. I obviously do buy it. I believe it's happening. I believe it's happening every day. I don't know what else to say about it, William. You know, we've had everybody on over the years, haven't we? We've had Dane on, Wigging thing. We've had everybody. But um, if I can find a new way of coming at it, maybe. Maybe. I don't know. But I know it's been left by the wayside during the last three or so years. But it's happening. It is happening. They're doing it. Barium, strontium, aluminum. Aluminum. Do you hear me? Do you hear me? Aluminium. Jesus. Um, yeah. Yeah. Every time I drop the J word, I get about a dozen emails from hardcore Christians who say, Richie, come on now, will you? Stop dropping the J word. Listen, I don't do that to cause any offence, you know. It's a habit. It's a speech pattern. It's a thing. It's a way of speaking. We've grown up with it. You know, Jesus, you know. Not meant to cause anybody any offence. And if Jesus lived, or if Jesus lives, I don't think Jesus would mind very much. That's my opinion. 
But feel free to hammer me with abusive emails about dropping the J word. I don't do it to annoy you, just in case you think I do, you know. Rob says, Richie, I've just had my first fact check on Twitter for reposting a chemtrail tweet. It's just like the COVID scam starting all over again, Rob says. Is that right, Rob? So the tweet has been amended. Wow. Chris says, I do not think the Dogs Trust wants to rehome at this point. He might be right. Phil says, I second chance Akitas. Hundreds of them. I've got three rescue ones. Jesus, Phil. That's a handful. People panic when they see me. Three Akitas. They're a big old dog Akitas. Holly says, I'd say the same is happening with parents of kids. Not a flipping clue how they should interact with other kids. Thank you, Holly. Amazing. Jeff says, hi Jeff. No, you didn't have the pro-gay eugenics agenda rammed down your throat in the 90s. It was more subtle then. It appealed to emotion and our narcissism by, by positing the anti-gay basher as the deplorable other, thereby manipulating us into tolerances, Jeff. And I think you sent another message asking about whether the gay basher was a real phenomenon. It was. Skinheads used to bash gays. It was a real phenomenon. Now, I wasn't there, personally, but my presenter asked me one Friday evening, would I come up the town through Ballybricken to the Glen where the Gecko Gay Nightclub once a week was happening for gay and lesbian singles, or not, or couples, to go and be together. And um, it was going on. Abuse and threats and objects being thrown and in one case a guy getting badly beaten up. Um, so it did go on. People did beat up gay people in the 60s, 70s and 80s. And some groups of people made a habit of doing it. Trying to find gay people to beat them up solely because of their sexuality. Kevin Tyrone says, used to be a wee dog in our estate, loved me every time I left the house. Was at a friend's house, petting his dog, went back home and the other dog came over, sniffed me, growled and from then on chased me all over the place, says Kev in Tyrone. <laughs> There's no rhyme or reason with dogs, Kev. Nikki says, we had rainbow lanyards in work to say we, our building, was in acceptance of LGBT. How messed up is that? It is terribly messed up, Nikki. And I would not put up with it. And people can say to me, Richie, you're full of shit because you are self-employed, Richie. You don't have to answer to a boss. You don't have to worry about being, you know, cancelled. Yes, you are right. All of that is true. But I guarantee you, if I was working for a company now and my office was in Manchester, I would not put up with it. Do you really believe that I would tolerate that? I wouldn't tolerate it. I would say, how dare you insinuate that I might have some issue with gay and lesbian people. Therefore, I must wear a rainbow lanyard to signify that I don't have a problem with gay and lesbian people. You will fucking believe, without me demonstrating anything, you will take it as a given that I don't have anything against gay people. You will assume that I don't have anything against gay people until I demonstrate otherwise. It's mad stuff, this. I told you about Froggy. Will you sit in on a Zoom meeting and listen to your gay and lesbian colleagues talk about their experiences and to Froggy's eternal credit? She told them to uh, fuck off. You know, we, we fuck off. 
She didn't say fuck off, of course. She's got a bit of class about her. She said, no. Why? Why do I want to sit there? Because, and the reason she said no, you see, and this is a very empathetic woman. This is a very soulful, spiritual woman who's got a lot of time for people. She said no for the reasons I've just given. Because the implication is that I need to be educated. And that's nonsense. She went to university in France. She went to university, she went to college in Ireland. She met gay and lesbian men and women and she got on with them. She didn't give a damn. No more than I give a damn, no more than you give a damn about the sexuality. I'm not interested. My first gay mate really was, was uh, as an adult now, was Steve, who I met at a, f- a false course. He told me he was gay one day, Steve. Very masculine fella, Steve. With a wonderful broadcasting voice made for news radio, for reading the news. Remember he told me, what are you telling me? Fucking give a fuck, Steve. All right, fair enough, Richie. <laughs> I don't care. It wasn't a case of me saying, I don't want to know about any of that. So it wasn't that. No, no, no. Because I don't care whether you're gay or straight, pal. It's your round, Steve. Get him in. Or um, we won't be mates. It's as simple as that. We will talk tomorrow at 4.30 UK time. Thank you, Jerry O'Neill. And good luck to everybody involved. Break a leg with uh, Tuha De Dannon for Moy in Cork this coming weekend. Eventbrite.ie. Bright is spelled B-R-I-T-E. I promise I will put a direct link to the tickets on the podcast notes until tomorrow, 4.30 to 6.30, to enable me to go to the game from the BBG. Here's the Bee Gees. And how deep is your love? 96.2. BBG Towers. Speak tomorrow.